your narrative as a company can go many different directions and oftentimes not the direction you want it to go in. So the CEO as the chief spokesperson for the company really can help set the narrative and drive the narrative and correct the narrative. Not so very long ago, CEOs were not the public face of their companies. In fact, most often companies didn't even need a public face, least of all from a chief executive. But in the age of always-on media and the rise of superstar chief executives, CEOs must constantly give voice to the organizations they lead. But the stakes are very high. Now, as public communicators, CEOs must not only explain company strategy and performance, they must also articulate company values and the role of their organization in society, all in an increasingly complex media environment. I'm Sean Carr, and today on Darden Ideas to Action, we'll look behind the scenes of the public CEO with two experts who've seen it firsthand. June West, who teaches management communication at the University of Virginia Darden School of Business, and Steve Soltis, an executive communications guru, a CEO whisperer, if you will, who's written hundreds of speeches for top executives from Coca-Cola to UPS to McDonald's. So let's start. Steve, June, tell us, how has the public persona of the CEO changed? Dramatically. If you go back to uh, the turn of the century, post-Enron, there was a dramatic move in the corporate world uh, for more clarity, more transparency, more authenticity uh, among senior leadership. Uh, there was a fiduciary responsibility that's, that's been with CEOs uh, forever, but there was also a public expectation that they were going to be more visible. They were going to you know, get out from behind, uh, behind the curtain and be more public-facing. So that was the first wave. And then uh, post the Great Recession, you know, we had the financial meltdown. We had an equally powerful uh, outcry from the public. They want more accountability. They want more authenticity. They want to see these guys and ladies, if you will, sweat. And then that segued into what we've seen over the last 10 years, which is just with the rise of social media, as you mentioned in the intro, and and political activism and social activism and the rise of an influence of NGOs, people want to engage with companies and leaders who share their passions and, and sense of purpose as well. Back in the day, CEOs mainly appeared in the annual reports with a picture in the back and maybe a letter up front. Uh, today, the social media and corporate websites, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube, give uh, C-suite executives a whole new um, platform and channels to communicate with uh, consumers and stakeholders, and internal employees as well. So what kind of pressure does that place on the CEO as the individual? How do they navigate that? They've got to own the responsibility of being the chief communicator for the company. I had a really interesting um, experience with Mutar Kent, who I supported at the Coca-Cola company for more or less the last 11 years. And as, as both president and head of the international operation, and then as ultimately as chairman and CEO, and he basically said, look, as a CEO, I really just have one responsibility. There's so many things I can't do. I can't fill, you know, I can't mix the formula. I can't make TV commercials. I can't go, I really can't even go out most of the time and, and sell customers and even be in front of our other stakeholders all the time. But what I can do is I've got to communicate. That is the chief job. Um, I am the communicator in chief. So I think it's just that, that ownership. They got to take ownership and, and understand it. The other issue in communication leadership from the top is credibility, and I think one of the characteristics of good um, leadership credibility is likability, and folks want to like their 
C-suite. They want to like their CEO, and that's what they can see when that person comes out in a, a public fashion, whether it be on a YouTube or at a quarterly earnings call or at Davos or wherever, uh, both internal and external. We can't underestimate that. That emotional IQ is so critical today uh, because consumers, they fundamentally want to like you. And that likability, whether you're a political candidate or whether you're a head of a, an NGO or a major Fortune 500 company, is so critical at the end of the day. You really got to have that likability. And what are they doing wrong? When they're not doing it well, what are they doing wrong? Chief communication officers and other people that have given counsel to the C-suite over the years have largely fallen into a trap of trying to shield the leadership. To answer your question, what are they doing wrong? Oftentimes, they're listening to their counsel. And the, the old way of thinking that, you know, no, we're not going to expose you in a crisis. We've got, we've got the legal team or we've got the head of operations or we've got someone in corporate strategy who's going to step up to the mic. No, 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 no. It may work still in some industries, in some situations, but by and large, you've got to have your chief out there. They've got to be public. And there are going to be some instances where you can't communicate because of legal issues or regulatory issues, but you still have to communicate. That's right. You have to communicate that you can't communicate. Right. And in the absence of information, people are going to create information, whether it's internal to the company or external to the company. Imagine each of you get a call from a woman who is the brand new CEO. Uh, of a very large uh, multinational corporation, but she's the first time she's stepping into the role. And she's never had counsel on how to communicate. What's some basic advice that you would offer? I think it comes down to the narrative. What is the story you want to tell? Do you have a compelling story? Can you own that story? Is it authentic to you? Is it authentic to your brand? And if that story doesn't feel right to you, then you, you need to pause on everything else until you get that story down. We have too many CEOs that are out there talking about everything but nothing, you know, and then you have employees who are really, they're walking around scratching their head like, what are we all about? What is our mission? What is our purpose? Why, why, are, why are we here? You know, because they're hearing so many different messages, but they're not hearing anything. So I think it really starts with that story. I would give advice not to be a celebrity CEO to be yourself, to be authentic, to, to have that story, as Steve just said, to, to connect with people, to understand who, who are your employees, who are your consumers. Jen, you're absolutely right. There's a balance you've got to meet. You've got to have a public face to a certain degree, but you also have to be cognizant of your own organization. And what we're seeing right now with a lot of companies, especially companies that are undergoing massive disruption and they're transforming their business model or their strategy or their even their fundamental purpose of why they're in business is that they've got to drive culture change first. So you see CEOs like James Quincy at the Coca-Cola company, um, David Abney at UPS, others who have made it a priority. They say, yeah, okay, I'll go out four or five, six times a year, very select engagements to you know, appropriate industry groups, appropriate investor groups, association groups, thought leadership groups, et cetera. But I'm gonna spend 85% of my time walking the halls, doing town halls, traveling the circuit of the internal operations and meeting with our employees, listening to them, engaging, having conversations with them, and also clarifying where we're going and why we're going. Do you find it a challenge to get as chief executive to both understand their own story, to develop their own narrative, and then to be able to communicate that narrative. Sean, it comes down to playing to their strengths. 
there are some CEOs, that, there's the Steve Jobs of the world, right? They're just, it's performance art and it's beautiful to watch and it's hundreds, maybe thousands of hours of practice and refinement and they, and they get it down. There are other executives that, you know, it's just human nature. There's, there's some that just aren't natural athletes or some that are not natural speakers, right? So they may not be a great orator, but they're great on one-on-one -on -one interviews, sitting down, and and we're seeing a lot a lot of time now where the rise of keynote speeches, where instead of an executive getting up and giving this big flamboyant presentation, they'll sit down with the Sean Cars of the world and just have a conversation like we're having right now, and that works beautifully. So it's just playing to their strengths what works for them. I would add that they have to have a very good working relationship with their depart their corporate communicators, and accept honest feedback. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. Absolutely. And huge. that's the hardest part. And there's a responsibility among corporate communicators to not live in a bubble, you know, a yes bubble world where they're just yes men and yes women. You've got to be able to have the courage to, to really steer the executive in the right direction. You know, the other interesting thing, Sean, about your question is that what we're seeing now, too, is more board activism. And more and more CEOs today are being selected for that role based on their presence based on their demeanor based on their interpersonal skills as well as their formal speaking skills there was a time when uh, perhaps companies even ceos would think of just maybe one stakeholder group their stockholders um, that's clearly no longer the case uh, employees suppliers supply chains uh, activist groups community members the list goes on and on and they are all valid um, that's a tough communications challenge. Um, what do you advise CEOs and other leaders, maybe even leaders to be, about how to think about stakeholders of your company, of your organization, and communicate effectively? It starts with prioritization. So who are your priority audiences? At any given time, you might identify 15 different stakeholder groups, but really at this moment in time, you can only really reach four effectively, or five, or six, whatever it is. So it starts with, what are the mission critical stakeholders that we have to engage? Then it's also this analysis, and this is another thing June and I teach in our class, is looking at that the stakeholder group's current mindset. What are they thinking? What are their beliefs at this moment in time? What are their prejudices, their biases, et cetera? And that takes a little bit of analysis and some digging and some research to really get valid current mindsets. And then you have to identify what's the desired mindset? Where do we want to take them? You know, how's this journey? going to evolve and then what's going to be the most effective messaging to win hearts and minds and what are going to be the best channels to deliver that message through great steve june thank you so very much this has been a really interesting conversation i'm sean carr and that's it for today's episode of darden ideas to action june west is a professor of management communication at the darden school of business Steve Soltis is a lecturer at Darden and an executive communication consultant for several Fortune 500 companies. Together, they lead the Darden Leadership Communication Council. Join us next time for more research, analysis, and commentary from faculty and experts at the University of Virginia Darden School of Business. Or learn more now at ideas.darden.virginia.edu.